Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week's episode, we are going to be taking a look at an older game that I finally got a chance to play, which is Las Vegas. And then Natasha and I got to play a party game, social deduction... Yeah, team-based party game. Team-based party game called Phantom Inc. at Gen Con. So we're going to be reviewing that. And then in the discussion topic, we're going to be talking about player interaction. It's one of those things that I think can be somewhat polarizing. Some people really enjoy player interaction. Other people don't. Like Natasha, for example, does not care for player interaction. I like my multiplayer solitaire games. (laughs) Hence the reason why you like... Uh, rolling right so much, right? Like yeah, that's yeah. L- stay off of me. Leave me alone. Let me just play my my little puzzle. But I like your company at the table. Yeah, I like to be able to see you, but I don't want you to do anything to the things that I'm doing currently uh-huh. on my board. I just want to be able to say, "Ha ha, I beat you." That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly how she does it. Ha ha, I beat you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so Max and I finished um, the exit calendar for this year, the advent calendar. Oh, yeah, sure. It was really good. I liked it a lot. It was an easy one. It was beginner level. I don't know if they all are, but this one was. It's I totally recommend doing it, especially even if you've never done an exit game or an exit calendar. This would be a good jumping point. I thought it was nice and easy, and all the puzzles were really fun. I would recommend doing it at Christmas time, though, like every day before Christmas. I think it'd be more fun. <laughs> That's the point of an advent calendar is it not to be done around the christmas period as opposed to i mean it's not mandatory but i would recommend it it's it's it comes highly recommended to be done around christmas time (laughs) so you gotta think of it this way like max gave you the old like well you know we're a year behind so the next year blah 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 we can do last year's this christmas that sort of thing the other excuse you have is you had to talk about it on the podcast and let people know before christmas time rolls around Right? Yeah. 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 So that's uh, yeah, that's your excuse, right? Something like yeah, that. Two, I guess. Twofold. Two good. Two good. <laughs> there's excuses. multiple ones. It's it's layers. It's like an onion. There's so many. There's so many different facets to it. We also started the Sagrada Legacy game, and I really like it so far. It's it's fun. There's a lot to it. It's not very often where you go to a convention and you're like, I need to buy this game. In that game, you're just like, I'm getting it. Like no mm-hmm. questions, if ands or buts about it. Have you played any more of the Dorf Romantic? game no we haven't All we right, have well we'll try to yeah you do what you got to do <laughs> we, we gotta play sagrada and then max went out and bought um pandemic the pandemic legacy season two to replay that one because we only played half of it together so he wants to play the whole thing so that's sitting on the shelf haven't been played yet and then we just have we have so many games to play so yeah dwarf romantic is probably on the bottom of the list yeah unfortunately like i said it was You can listen to my review about it, but I was kind of, eh. But I also do think a lot of people are going to enjoy that game regardless. But yeah. Sagrada's good, though. Sagrada's really good. Yeah, we've been opening stuff already. Like, uh, There's all these little other things that you can do. You're playing the game, trying to win the whole campaign. You know know how to win the campaign, which I like that. Like, You know how it's going to, what's going to make you win, which is good. And there's like other little things you can do to help you score points and it's it's been good so far how many games are you in and on it right now three three out of oh, 12 okay oh okay so you're yeah you're 25 percent done yeah yeah nice and, okay cool 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 and we plan on doing it again because it, we bought it's four player right so if you get uh four journals and so we're gonna like maybe try to play it again there's like things you add to the board and sticker it up so we won't be able to do that but we'll see if we can just repeat the whole thing well, they have a recharge kit, you said. Yeah, they do. And it's a different it's a different campaign. It's like they co- compare it to season two. It's supposed to be a totally different game with a different storyline, the recharge pack. So is the story any good? Um, I mean, I'd barely read it. It's about <laughs> like you're competing to make to be the best glass maker. Um, so I've read Where's a little Max? bit of it. Where's Max around here? Get Max. Let me find and let it's, me ask him what his. There, the, what I do thinks. appreciate there's very little text. Like there's like you get a card about the next, you know, goal or whatever, and it's like a yep. sentence or two. So I probably could read it very easily, but yeah, I'm not interested. I don't care. You mentioned the text thing, and uh, my wife and I just started a new campaign. We're doing going through uh, Descent, uh, Legends of the Dark. 
And it's so that is a cooperative style game campaign with uh, it, it integrates an app from Fantasy Flight. And you go on these quests in the for the most part, the app kind of does most of the stuff for you. Eventually, I want to talk about like giving an actual review um, on the on the podcast. But the amount of reading that's involved is a lot. It, there's quite a bit like when you and the funny thing is when you first start the app and you start a brand new campaign. They kind of bamboozle you just a little bit because they end up uh, the first part is just like them talk like they'll have somebody reading the audio. So you're like, oh, sweet. Somebody's going to be reading, you know, all the text to us. No, that's not the case. Not at all. You have to read it all. And is it important to the storyline that you read it? I mean, yeah, because each adventure, the way this works is a lot of the adventures require certain characters and you're building their background. So you're making, you know, choices about what the characters would do. So you do need to read some of it. Otherwise, like you would get no story. You would just do like a bunch of like one shot dungeon crawl adventures. And part of the thing I like is the story element. So for us, we are we are reading it. It got to the point where we're now we're taking turns. Like I'll do one one of the like one of the <laughs> yeah. adventures. And then she I mean, does one, one of the thing, adventures. It's fine to read. Like I like reading, but like I don't like sitting out loud and I don't like reading out loud. I just uh I want to get you were to that game. kid. You were that kid in like elementary school oh, when the teacher called on you. Yeah, on. you're like, oh I man. I, yeah, it didn't make me so nervous. I'd mess up all the words, and yeah, yep. I still don't like reading out loud. That was like it, one of the worst punishments that teachers put kids through in elementary school was forcing them to read out loud in front of the class. Oh yeah, it wasn't even a punishment. It was just like they just take turns reading out loud. Like that's so mean. Who wants to read out loud? And then recess would come around. If you stumbled, they'd be like, ha, you stumbled on those words. So you had to be like, you had to be perfect. Oh, you got picked on? The kids would do that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Like, you never got picked on? No, not that. But I was embarrassed. Like, maybe they felt bad for me because I was so embarrassed. I didn't get it that bad for the most part. Yeah, the exit, I will say the exit advent calendar did have a lot of text, which is if you do just one a day, that's fine. But like, yeah, I just didn't read any of it. We breezed through it really fast. I have to read like the last sentence because sometimes there'd be clues in there, you know. Hmm. But for the most mm-hmm. part, you can skip it. Yeah, you, you don't need it. Don't need none of that. All right, how about we get into some game reviews, huh? Yeah. So I wanted to talk about a game we just played, uh, which is Las Vegas. This game came out in 2012, and I just had a chance to play it. Natasha taught it to me. Uh, this is a dice rolling area majority game designed by. Rudiger Dorn, art by Harold Leeksy, Marcus Schmuck, and Mia Stangraber. And this is published by Alea. So in Las Vegas, players are going to be rolling dice and using those dice to try to win money at the six different casino spots. This game is going to be played over four rounds, and at the start of each round, a certain number of banknote cards will be placed on the different casinos. These cards can range from $10,000 to $90,000. There needs to be at least 50 k at each casino spot. Once this is done, starting with the first player and moving around the table, players will be rolling their eight dice and assigning them to the different casino spots. The way this works is the active player rolls their dice and must place their dice on one of the casinos. The catch is they had to place all of the same number on the spot. So for example, if I rolled three fours, then I would have to place all three of my fours on the four spot. This play continues until everyone is out of dice, and then we check to see who wins at each casino. The player with the most dice on the spot wins the highest banknote, second gets the second, and so on. The twist, however, is ties lose. So if Natasha and I are both tied with the most dice in a spot, we don't win anything. It would go to the next highest. And honestly, that's pretty much the game. Players will finish the four rounds, count out their banknotes, and whoever has the most points wins. I think what makes this game fun is the interaction it offers. So, And not to mention, I mean, you're rolling dice, which I love. And then... You're placing them on, you know, these spots, hoping that nobody beats you out. But then the nice thing is sometimes you can kind of like you roll, you have one dice left and you roll a one and you're like, oh, I go on the one spot. But then people tie. So then you end up winning the banknote. So you can kind of like weasel your way into these wins sometimes. It's just fun. It's just fun chucking those dice. Yeah, this is like everything I don't like, right? In the game, like player, heavy player interaction, area control, like random dice rolls but it's still it all just comes together in this really nice little light package that that's so fun you it's just quick it's fun 
you know, and, and it's wild and swingy and, and th- there's some strategy. There's definitely some strategy, especially early on. You roll three fours, you can go heavy in those fours and try to secure that spot. Or, you know, especially if you roll four of them, but then you're like really limited on the number of dice. And it's kind of better to wait to only kind of put one dice out at a time. So you have a lot more dice when it gets to the end. So there's like, even though it's totally luck dependent on what you roll, especially the like your last roll where you just have to put it wherever you roll. But, but there's a lot of early on choices and, and then like the upswings that come with like rolling you know, you're really hoping you roll that one dice that's going to change the outcome for everybody at the table and you roll it and it's just, everyone's just like, whoa, that's, it's just fun. Exactly. That's, that's the best way you can describe it. It's just, it's like pure fun. Having those moments, like you said, where you, oh man, if I get a four, that means that like, I'm going to end up tying this and then it's going to go to this other person. This one person is clearly winning because they've got a bunch of banknotes, that sort of thing. It's just fun to have those, you know, moments where people not necessarily jump out of their seat, but they're just like, oh, 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 it happened. Oh, my God. I can't believe that happened. Like, oh, now I'm now I missed out on that $80,000. Like, oh, my God. You know, stuff like that makes these kinds of games fun. It, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's not necessarily a game where strategic gamers are going to be like, you know, metagaming the different things. And how am I going to do this crazy you know, these turns and blah, blah, blah. No, you're just rolling some dice and seeing what happens. And there is, like you said, strategy. Do you put one dice out? Maybe you put a bunch of one dices around to a bunch of different spots, but it's less likely that you're going to get some of those spots just because you only have one dice on it. But if there's a lot of banknotes on that spot, maybe you slip in and you take one of the banknotes. You know, do mm-hmm. you, maybe you want to put, you know, five of your dice on this one spot because it's worth 90,000 and you just lock that up unless somebody goes in there and screws you over like max was doing to me the entire game <laughs> i uh max had, max had a lot of fun with that game he oh i bet he it. did i bet he did he was yeah one of he the things talking we're talking about, about it again yesterday because how much fun he had playing that and how he wanted to get it and play it yeah that's i think uh i think i'm good at not playing that game with max moving forward <laughs> He had it a was, lot of fun following Bob. Whatever oh Bob did, God. Max repeated it just to uh, bother him. <laughs> just to like bug me. And the funny thing is, like, I can I can take two like one person targeting me because you do it to me often. Like, I don't know how many times you're at a table and you're just like, I don't care if I win as long as Bob loses. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> I, I don't like know where I can, he gets it from. It's yeah, weird. weird, huh? Yeah, just so weird. It's like how where would he get that certain mentality so then like we're playing or whatever and he's doing that to me and i was like all right like the thing is this so i put like two dice on the two spot he rolls he gets two twos what does he do he puts them on the two spot and i'm like okay fine i roll my dice i get another two twos i'm like all right four on the two good put my two twos on there and i was like it's unlikely you know max only has four dice left it's unlikely he'll roll two twos no he rolls his dice what does he get Two twos. Okay. He puts it on the two spot. All right. I'm losing. I roll. I happen to get one two. I'm like, yes. All right. So I'll put it on there. I got my one two. Cool. Sweet. There's no way Max is going to roll. Like he only has a couple dice. What does he do? He rolls a two. Not. And the thing is, he he doesn't even like beat me. He just (laughs) ties me. He doesn't even like, he doesn't even win it. He just like. (laughs) He ties you so he loses as well. But he has just as much fun playing it because he screwed you over. The amount, the sheer joy (laughs) that I saw on his face as he was doing this to me. I was just like, he gets this from his mom. Like there's like, (laughs) I've seen this look before. And it's when Natasha somehow like convinces people at the table to like take me out of a game or something like that. They're like, well, Bob's over here doing this thing. I'm like, don't, I'm not, like, I'm in last place. <laughs> Only because I've been working so hard at getting you there. <laughs> <laughs> you need some extra help just keeping me on the bottom. Of the- it oh takes my a lot, Bob. <laughs> oh, man. The best part was you, the very like, la- we played the game like, like two times in a row. So one of the very last rounds. Natasha rolls dice and she ends up screwing both me and Max over in a spot. <laughs> and she's just like, my my dream has come true. Like, this is the happiest day of my life. I was able to screw over these two people. <laughs> it was a really fun game. It was. It's- yeah. And the thing is, like, I'm, I'm laughing about it now. And it was just like the you think about it and you're like, there's no way. There's no way he's going to continue rolling the same numbers as me. Like, he just can't. Yeah. Right. No, he's doing it every single time. It's like. 
the dice gods are like on his side. Oh, I can hand <laughs> I can handle one targeting me, but two mm, that's that's yeah. tough to come back from. He didn't do very well at that game, but man, he had fun playing it. <laughs> Actually, I think one of the games he was like in second or third, and the other game he was dead last. But that that last game, he yeah, he went all <laughs> in on trying to screw me over. Yep. <laughs> he figured out his objective and went went for it, <laughs> whether it yep. earned him points or not. But. It doesn't matter. He won. He won the game he wanted to win. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the day, like this is a just it's just a fun game. You're rolling dice. You're seeing what happens. Um, the production value is in a Leia game, so it's not great. It's pretty I think, ugly. You know, you you had made a mention when we were playing that like if all play could take this game and just do the all play thing to it, like mm-hmm. put it in because it's a small like you don't need much. You just need dice for all the people and some card cards in the locations right so you could put yeah. it in one of those like their quote-unquote big box game which is still pretty small the the big box game is half the size that this game is in now i think they could put it in a small little square box too which would be even Ooh, better, they might but... be able to mm-hmm. if they made the small smaller um spots location spots the biggest thing is the amount of dice and the cards there's That's a decent amount of cards of and dice. dice. Yeah, so everyone gets eight, and I think it plays up to six players, I think. Yep. So there's a decent amount of dice. Five players. It plays up to five players. So there's a, there's a decent amount of dice. But if all play could take this and make, like, update it with new artwork and stuff like that, I think I think a lot of people would still enjoy this game. I It was one of those games that, like, I always kind of wanted to play but never had a chance to. And we had a chance to play it. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it was going to be a game that I probably was because you're just rolling dice and seeing what happens and just kind of pushing your luck, hedging your bets. Hopefully nobody's going to roll that four and steal it from me. Hopefully Max learns his lesson and doesn't do it again. Oh, wait, he didn't. He's going to still target me. All right, cool. Yeah, like, how do I learn lessons? Yeah. Like, how do I, like, how do I change my strategy to like combat not only like Max targeting me, but also Natasha? Like, let me figure this out. I can, I can score some points. <laughs> And the second, like the first game, I was last place. I like I had barely anything. But then, second game, I think I came in second. So that's a win, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Mm -hmm. especially when two people are going after me, I'll take a second place. (laughs) (laughs) So who's this game for? Um, you know, if you like those fun, you know, push your luck kind of quick games, I think this is still a solid game. It's you know from 2012. I don't think it necessarily shows its age. It shows its age in artwork, not necessarily in gameplay. It's still quick, streamlined, like it's pretty easy to play. People understand. I think the whole if you tie, you lose. So then if person has like, there was one point on one of the spots, I think three people had four dice and one person had one die and they had rolled it at the very end. So they ended up scooping up the top uh, top value banknote. I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just fun. I think there's, like you said, there's still some interesting choices in the first part of the game that when you're rolling dice like what are you going to do with the dice do you set them there like where do you where do you place your dice i think there's you know pretty some pretty solid decisions with that um i'm coming in and giving this game an eight i really enjoyed it yeah i i had originally given it an eight and then i bumped it up to a nine after our last play of it because i loved it so much and i had so much fun with it I think this is a great game for families. This is a game you could pick up and, and bring to your um, like like Thanksgiving with your family. Like really, you could teach this to anybody. It plays really easily, quick, light, but just a lot of fun. I know a lot of people say they they have it and play it with their family. So I'd recommend it for that reason. But it's also a nice light filler game at game night and stuff too. Yeah, just chucking some dice, seeing what happens. That is Las Vegas. All right, next I want to talk about Phantom Inc. So Phantom Inc. is a team-based game, party game. It's designed by Mary Flanagan and Max Steadman. The art is by Spring Yu. So in this game, you have a, um, a spirit that leads the team. So each team member has a spirit that leads the three um, or up to three medians. So it plays good at like four or six, I think, is kind of the sweet spot where you've got a spirit on each team and then two two team members that are the mediums and the uh, spirits each pick one word from this list of six words in there and then each team is trying to figure out that word it's like a noun you know whoever figures out the word first wins the wins the game so the way they figure it out is that you have a hand your team has a hand of cards with questions on it questions about the word and you pick two and hand it to your spirit and then your spirit picks one of the two questions and answers it 
And what they do is they answer it. They write it. They write the answer down on a piece of paper so that everybody can see it. So your opponents are going to get the, see the same words that you're getting. So you want to try to pick where pick questions where they can answer. You can give you clues about the word, but it isn't going to give it away to your opponent. But the twist in the game is that this the spirit is writing the word really slowly. So at any point that you think you know the word, you can tell them to stop. So the trick to this game is to ask questions where you're going to get an answer where you can figure out the answer with the first letter so that let's say you ask what color is this item usually and they put a Y down you immediately know that it's going to be yellow so you would tell them to stop so the other team all they see is that the the letter Y so they have no idea what the word is like let's say the they're going to write green or something and so they write G R now you know it's either green or gray Right. And so you kind of want to tell them to stop, even though you get less information, because if they get all the way through the word, they're going to know that the word, what the word, your opponents are going to know what the word is. You know, they're going to know that it's green, but you might want to tell them to stop because now at this, this point, you know that the word, if they just write G, you know, it's either green or gray, you know, which is still better information. And you're not giving your opponent that information, or at least I think that's the strategy. We did play it four times in a row. And we lost every single time. So maybe yeah. don't take my strategy too seriously. But that's kind of the game. You know, the game is the, the is that you're asking these questions. You're trying to be strategic about the questions you're asking. You don't want to give information to your opponents. And you're just trying to be the first one to guess the word. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's a lot of fun. For a, a party game like this style of game, it is extremely thinky. It it like takes this concept of this like hidden information and then kind of amplifies it a little bit because not only is it hidden information, but it's also like you're asking these hidden questions. And I, I I'm curious if there's like a translation thing, because the way some of the cards are phrased, some of the questions. Yeah. Like they were weird. You, you read it and it's like phrased in a very unique kind of way. It's not like it's not like what color is this? It's like typically the color the what would be the main hue of this particular object. Like it's stuff like that. It just the way it's the way it's written sometimes you're just like, "Mm, this seems what? odd the way it's like It's got to be a translation because you can you can always figure out what it is, but it's like am I am I understanding that correctly? Or the way it's weirded, it's got a couple extra words in it or words in different order that you're like Yeah. Am I getting this backwards? So you can't think too hard. Just go with your, what you initially thought it was. I think what makes it fun is is picking out the questions, you know, because you got to be strategic. You got to give your your spirit good questions to answer without giving your opponents too much information. I, I just think it's a lot of fun. It a lot of times in games like this, take code names is a, is a game that I think in some ways is very similar. Right? You're trying. There's one person trying to get you to guess certain things same mm-hmm. same kind of concept right and both be both of the ghosts phantoms both have to understand what the other one's trying to go for right you guys both have the same combined word the thing is the people who are guessing very rarely do you have like you have choices but you don't right the choices are based off what the clue giver is giving you Whereas in this game, what's nice is the people who are guessing have a lot more buy-in than the person than a normal game because you're offering them the questions. There's specific information based on the hand of cards you're looking at that you're trying to get. So a lot of times, what like when Natasha was the clue giver, um, John and I would look at the cards and be like, "Okay, let's give her this one because it seems like we're going on the right path." But if for some reason there's not, let's give her this card too to see what she wants to answer. Mm-hmm. So it gives that it gives the guessers more buy-in. It gives them more options because you are the one saying, okay, this is the question I want you to answer. Not like you're just giving me a question, like an answer to some random question. Like we're providing you that. And yeah. I think that having that provides a lot more decisions and just a lot more, I keep saying buy-in, but you know, as the people guessing, like it gives us, it makes us more involved in the mm-hmm. gameplay. And then you reveal the card that wasn't chosen to the other team. So the other team knows what card the spirit didn't choose. 
And that's yep. interesting information. I don't know how, I don't think I ever used it, but I thought it was interesting that it was available. Okay, this is the question the spirit didn't choose. So it's probably not a good question that relates to the the item. Uh, you know, there's there's information you could glean from that, I, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think you can. Yes, I agree. That you should be able to some of it, yeah. Especially as you get better at the game, I think there's definitely probably a learning curve with how to play this game better and and how to get better. I mean, don't come to Bob and I. Although this was nice, I got to see Bob lose four games in a row. Of course, I went down with him, but the, you know, it was almost worth it. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. I, <laughs> it cannot have been worth it. It was not good. We just did not. I don't know if we just didn't get it or what the deal was. I know at one point, um, John and I were about to guess a word because you and the other John were the phantoms. And I was like, all right, I'm going to guess. And he's like, all right, go for it. And I was like, elephant. And you're like, no. And then the other team was, they started like making fun of me. They're like, that's such a stupid guess. Uh, uh, uh." And I was like, oh yeah, what were you going to guess? And they're like, yeah, we were going to guess elephant too because that's what we (laughs) thought. (laughs) So then we had to like, so then we're both like, wait, what? But the nice thing about this game too is based on certain at certain points during the course of the game, the other team gets an opportunity to add letters to the responses. So if there's a word that the other team has guessed already, but we're on the fence of what we think it might be, because that word could provide us a clue, we can say add a letter to that. Okay, they add a letter like, okay, clearly... Like the example with the color, right? Y. And then add a letter, E. All right, so it's probably yellow, right? Because now yeah. you're starting to get more of those letters. So it does give you those choices, and you get that before you take your guess, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. So it just it just gives you – it allows you to pick the information you want. Yeah. I think this this is a pretty unique word party game. I think it would go over well with um, groups that like – word games a lot you know there's a lot of people that don't play board games but they really like word games in general you know just one goes over well you know any kind of of those classic um taboo and those those typical party games i think if people like those they would probably like this game too you know but it's got but it's got enough of a twist in it that makes it interesting and different and fun i don't know i think it would get better with time you know we only did play it those four times so i think it would get better as you as you get four times as you get better at it i wanted to keep playing it because i don't know if it's because we lost or i just so much that i liked the game but um yeah i wanted to keep playing it it was both the the fact that you lost four as much as you saw me lose four i think deep down inside you were you didn't like losing four. yeah yeah, you didn't like losing four in a row i I think if we would play one more so we can win let's play one more so we can win Pretty much. And we didn't. <laughs> nope. But it's got enough twist to it that's interesting and different than a lot of these other types of games. I, yes. I totally recommend it. I'm going to come in at an eight. Uh, I thought it was really good. And I think it's got some holding power because I think I think it'll grow on you too more and more that you play it, the better you get at it. Um, you know, we had fun whenever I was the clue giver. We always picked like the hardest word so that it was, I thought that was fun too. It didn't help us, but. It did not help us win. No. So, uh strategic you know advice from a person who's lost his game for do not pick the hardest word just saying um, <laughs> I mean, the I'm, other team chose the hardest word too so that works yeah i mean them. yeah i guess it is what it is i think part of it is the very first game like the clue was guessed within like a couple rounds we didn't even make it through the entire it was pretty pretty quick so then you start picking more difficult words mm-hmm. um i'm coming in at a seven i enjoyed my play of it my plays even though i've i lost every single one these kind of games aren't necessarily my style of games. I will play them, but it's not necessarily things that I go seek out. So giving it a seven, I think, is actually pretty decent score, at least from my perspective. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was it was cool because you're able to collab with the person that your teammates with, you know, based on okay, what are we, what word are they trying to say, and then especially providing those questions. I think providing the questions for me is the is the interesting point of the of the guesser is those question cards all right well that's phantom inc check it out all right that's going to wrap up all the games we are reviewing this week we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we are going to be discussing player interaction
All right, welcome back. We are now going to be discussing player interaction. This kind of, for me, came about recently because Natasha and I have been kind of chatting about, you know, different kinds of player interaction. One of the things she has talked about is, you know, playing a roll and write she likes because it's it's basically solo. Like, there's not necessarily a ton of interaction. Even like a game like Hadrian's Wall, very rarely is there interaction. If anything, you're getting maybe something from your one of the people on either side or you're using their face-up cards but again for the most part the interaction is pretty minimal i on the other hand depending on the interaction i i don't mind it i think in some ways it can be kind of interesting and provide you know unique choices based on you know how different games interact so we're going to kind of just chat about we're going to talk about like different kinds of interaction we're going to talk about, we're going to get to the root of why Natasha hates interaction. And we're going to it's kind of go It's not entirely true. Yeah, I think it depends. The other part that kind of came up is, part of the main reason why I wanted to talk about this in particular is that game of Las Vegas. We already talked about it in the first part of this episode. Like, I was targeted pretty well by um, several players at the table. You know, Max being the main culprit. So, stuff like that, like... In a game specifically last like Las Vegas, it was like whatever. I don't care. Like he's gonna he's gonna do it. He was having a blast with it. I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna keep losing this one thing. Like, do I just pivot and start going for something else? Is he gonna target me over there? Like, is he gonna keep doing this, like hitting this two spot? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Which for the most part, like in a game like Las Vegas, I honestly don't care. Like those types of games where you're just chucking dice, having fun, cool, man, whatever. That's that's kind of the spirit of those games, right? And and kids tend to really like those style of games, and there's a lot of adults that like them too. Uh, like a lot, there's a lot of adults that really just like those types of games that really like. Let's check some dice. Let's do some things. Let's see what happens and see who can win. And you know, it's very very opposite of those strategy games where you're pr- planning everything. A lot of people don't like that style of game, but they're they're more likely, and, and these are the types of games that I do like introducing to people that don't play a lot of games because the, the player interaction, the luck-based, that's just all such good fun and anybody can just get into it and they're kind of more intuitive, right? So people can kind of jump into those. So those those games are great, you know, and I do like them when I when I go into the, when I start playing them with that, the correct mindset, right? Like this is just going to be a fun time. Like I'm not going to spend a lot of time thinking about my turns or my moves. I'm just going to, we're just going to see what happens and then we're going to have fun with the outcome. Yeah. The other thing too, is I think games that are like this, which are interactive, but fun interactive, especially with new gamers, it allows that allows them to like, it just interact with the group as an Mm -hmm. interactive game that interacts like weird. It it gives people that like opportunity to, oh, I did this to you or I do that. Or remember that mm-hmm. time where like I stole that from underneath you, that sort of thing. Those types of interactions are always fun and they provide like stories and memories and different things like that. And like, for example, the games we played specifically with Max, like that is going to be a memory I have. It's going to be something that I'm going to look back on. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember when, you know, when Zach gets older. And be like, or when Max gets older, I'll be like, yeah, I remember that time you were taking all my stuff from, you know, Las Vegas. Yeah. So stuff like that is fun. He's going to definitely remember that too. And and that's why he loves the game. And I, I think hope having he does. <laughs> a lot of those games that have heavy player interaction, I think luck, it can be a great um, asset to it because it helps new players jump into it when it's really kind of heavy in the luck side. That means that anybody could win this game. And that makes it fun for people who aren't aren't playing a lot of those games and don't you know aren't aware of the strategies of them they can jump right into these types of games opposed to those heavy strategies so do you think because that game because las vegas is so much luck based based on the die rolls that that type of interaction isn't necessarily that big of a deal to you because of the luck factor so let's let's flip this let's say you know in las vegas what's the luck factor 80 percent maybe so let's flip it let's say it was only like 20 percent but then so then it goes from just, oh, yes, I got these dice and I'm going to take your spot to it almost feels like directly targeting at right. that point, right? Right. The, I roll the dice and or somebody else rolls the dice and they get, you know, two twos or two threes. Like I can't fault them for check going to the two threes because 
you know what I mean? Even if it screws me over because it was a better opportunity for them. You know, they, they were limited to two items that they could choose from and that was what they chose. So yeah, it's, it's different than like, like area control to me. I, I don't generally like it because it's like, I put a cube out and then you put a cube out. Okay. Now we're tight. So I guess I have another cube out, you know, like what you were talking about with, with Max and the two is yeah. like just, you know, that I don't like that. Like adding on, adding on, adding on. I, I prefer to not get into that game with somebody. But in Las Vegas, it's quick and does doesn't matter. So I guess I I like my player interactions where where they're those shorter fun games, a lot of like that heavy interaction. You know, I think it's, it can be a lot of fun when you're not spending a lot of time and energy building up a big strategy. You know what I mean? And then yep. somebody comes in and just destroys it. I really I really hate like my biggest number one thing of like player interactions is i hate the card that says you can't do what you just did i just hate that card and it's even in blood rage it's like my least favorite card but like at least when you play it like you you get to know the game you know that it's in there you know and you see it maybe you see it now you know who's got it but like that card like i hate that i I always hate that like my number one least favorite player interaction i'm just gonna cancel out what you just did yeah the nope card like it might as well just say nope on it not doing that it's interesting you bring up like the nope card because typically those types of things like i kind of don't like either but in the blood rage example i was thinking about that as long as i know that card is potentially in play then i know like yes this is probably a thing that can actually happen I'm prepared for the outcome of it it being a thing. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm less concerned about that nope card than you know in other games that I don't know it's present. The I first like time it. you get hit with it, you're just like what the heck? You're like Ugh. Yeah. You know. I like it in Blood Rage because typically you you play out all those cards so you're like almost guaranteed that that card is out there. Where like when people like draw random cards like think of like the Intrigue deck in Dune Imperium or there's a lot of games that have like a deck of cards that you draw and like there's a there's a random like maybe three out of the 50 cards are nope cards i don't like that because they could just you have no idea if it's out there or not we're like in blood rage you need to assume it's there yeah there's it's the you have the ability to draft it so the chances of that card being in somebody's hand is probably pretty high especially Mm -hmm. because a lot of times you need that card to cancel out let's say the low-key cards because the low-key cards typically will like steal rage from you so when you're in a combat, you almost need that card to be like, all right, I don't want you stealing rage from me. So let's cancel all the cancel all the cards and replay new cards. Mm-hmm. You know that. So in some ways, like you need that card to combat, you know, some of the low key cards that that are present in that game. Right. The other type of like nope card that I don't like or that kind of uh, you can get hit with is in like terraforming Mars when they'll play some of those. um asteroid cards and it just like take you know take 12 million dollars or 12 oh. million credits from certain like this any I one hate other those player cards in terraforming mars if i if i would choose i would take out all those cards in terraforming mars any of the ones that take things from other people i i dislike strongly it comes down to one of the things that i dislike the most in player interaction i think one of the my biggest pet peeves and it in a game like las vegas it's not necessarily that bad i don't care but in a game like terraforming mars is targeting that is the type of player interaction that i really hate is targeting and the saltiest i've ever been at games is when you've convinced more than one person to target me and it just like i feel like i can't everyone at the table is targeting me specifically so there's nothing i can do I like I'm in this gigantic hole and as I'm like trying to get out of the hole you just convince another person to throw dirt on me and I'm like come on like <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that an onk you did I still remember that like you convinced everyone at the table that I cannot win at onk and I <laughs> like it was it was pathetic how bad I did because everyone's just like to be fair so to the rest of us I think we were there was like two spectrums there was like two people winning and like three of us that were like very very bottom of the barrel like we were all struggling we spent a lot of energy keeping you down there like we were down there holding you down <laughs> we weren't at the top throwing dirt you're, on you you're you're the concrete on my ankles <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly we were oh my god clawing tooth and nail all trying to get out of there that yeah, is th- that for me 
targeting specifically and those types of terraforming mars cards target specific players like that stuff yeah. i do not like i'm a yeah. magic the gathering player so i've like had i you know there are decks that target certain people and stuff like that but i go into that knowing that that's a thing with the game mm -hmm. you know Ankh didn't even target we were just like making sure that you couldn't get the benefit that's it yeah, you were very vocal about making sure yeah. I didn't get the things I need. If I think if I owned Terraforming Mars, I would literally take all those cards out of the deck and just never play with them. Because they do, they target one person and they're so huge. Like to get two of your income taken out sucks so bad. I very rarely play those cards because I don't necessarily think they're worth it. So in some of them, depending on how much you pay to basically like, I'm going to take eight plants from somebody and knock down their production by two. To me, knocking down somebody's production by two isn't valuable enough for me in the game because all, slowing down one person in a four-player game does not help me win. You know, it helps that person lose, but it doesn't help me win. It doesn't progress my strategy forward, even in a three-player game. If it's mm -hmm. two-player, that's different. In a two-player game, that makes a little bit more sense because now you have, you're less likely to be able to use the plants to increase oxygen. Mm -hmm. But in a, like a four-player game, like that I don't care about. It's the stealing. Is it worth the cost of the card? So first I have to pay for the card to be in my hand. And then I have to pay 20 million credits in order to steal, you know, eight. Is that worth it? Probably not. So I typically I, yeah. stay away from those cards. Yeah, I don't I don't ever buy them either. Sometimes I will draft them just because so that I can discard them and get, you know, so other people don't take them. And that's probably sure. why they're there. That's a valid strategy to make sure that if you have the highest plant production, you better draft this card so nobody takes it, you know, takes your plant production from you. But I do like, I do. So I love tension and tension. You're not going to get tension in a game without player interaction. Very rarely. Agreed. You yes. know, and so there are games like, you know, Ticket to Ride, like it's just filled with so much tension. And that's because you're like on the edge of your seat waiting to see what other people are going to do, hoping that you get the cards you need quicker than they do. And so I do like player interaction in that sense. I like when player when player interaction drives my moves, right? Like somebody yep. could very easily come in and screw me over. So I need to know that and plan for that and have a backup plan. And and I like it when it's like all laid out and I understand what what it is and it's not going to surprise me, right? So that so writing down a bunch of different things as far as like what kind of interactions are in games. We talked about targeting uh, we talked about like take that cards or the nope cards in certain cases. And then that's a prime example of like blocking, right? People mm -hmm. taking the route you want to do. But what's nice about Ticket to Ride is it doesn't block you permanently. Typically it doesn't. Yeah. For the most part, it block. Okay, this particular route is blocked, but I can still get to my destination. I just need to take a completely different route. It's not like you're, com you're completely like hosed. That can happen, like all those spots to Boston can get filled up, and then all of a sudden, like, you're just not going to Boston. Yeah. But once you start seeing that filling up, that's up to you to say, all right, there's only one thing left. I need to take that now. So I know in Ticket to Ride, you can definitely play an aggressive game where you are intentionally blocking people. I don't ever play that way because it's not worth my time taking up somebody else's route if I don't need that spot. I'm if you're both if we're both kind of in the same area and I think you're going for it, I'm gonna try to grab it as quick as I can because I want it. But I'll never take somebody's route just to take the route. I don't like playing that way. I just Max and I never play that way with each other. And I know it's a very valid strategy that people can do. I almost never do that either because it it doesn't further is again that idea that I'm not furthering my game plan by blocking you, especially mm -hmm. in again a four three player game. The way I approach it is if I block Natasha, yeah, maybe Natasha doesn't get her thing, but the other two players are getting away scot free. You're and you're just wasting a turn, right? They, yeah, you know, you're basically taking the one for the team. Like you're working at blocking me, and those two are just like getting away for free. It, it kind of gives them an advantage. So that's where, so we actually recently played a game of Ticket to Ride. It was you, me, Max, and our friend Danny. And at one point, I knew exactly where you were going. And I was like, okay, I go, Natasha's going to get that. And then, like, I'm not going to claim it because it doesn't further my game plan. Like, I have places I got to go. My, my train's got to get to San Francisco, you know, and I'm in Kansas City. I got things I got to do. Right. But that doesn't stop me from saying, hey... Guys, just so you know, Natasha wants this spot. You should probably take it. 
<laughs> now Max isn't gonna screw over his mother, so it he didn't do it. I was kind of hoping Danny would, you know, like if I can talk somebody into doing that move, then it, like it just benefits me, you know, yeah, and that yeah. like without you having to do the work, yeah, yeah that's right, exactly yeah, yeah. It. I tried pulling what natasha does to me to natasha it, it didn't work you ended up getting that route but still nobody yeah. yeah people people don't love attacking me i think it's like you know but people just love attacking you i'm the like i'm the villain people love to hate i guess i don't yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> i don't yeah, know yeah. people are just like oh yeah let's let's screw over bob that's cool it takes a while for people to like want to screw me over like people at the beginning are always like i always tend to win really early on when people first meet me they like i just win a lot with them and then as they get to know me more they i tend to lose more and more and i think that's because i think people are just nicer to me (laughs) like in games like nicer like they don't ever try to hurt me which i appreciate don't that okay i'm public service announcement if you play a game with natasha and it's the first time don't let her fool you. The curly hair and the like smile is just her being laughing on the inside that she's going to whoop you in the game. So don't think <laughs> don't think it's just her being friendly. It's not. Yeah. It's a I don't facade. know if it's because I come across ditzy or whatever. But people think I'm dumb and they don't want to take advantage of me. <laughs> and then they get to know me and they're like, all right, you're going down. All right. Uh, enough of this. Enough of this. <laughs> so, yeah, that's like the thing. And the nice thing about blocking is it's one of those. It's the same thing in. um uh worker placement games right you take somebody's worker spot stuff like that i don't necessarily mind like if i really wanted that spot that's what i like about that tension in a worker placement game is where do i go first that's the game without that tension there'd be no game it wouldn't be interesting it really wouldn't no because like that's the thing is i'm am i going to give up getting you know stone in order to get a lot of wood for example let's say stone age you know, what am I giving up to get the thing that I want? Mm-hmm. Am I willing to give that up? If I'm not, then I need to make sure I take that spot before somebody else does. So blocking isn't necessarily that bad, I don't think. I think it's one of those player interactions that provides the tension in games. Mm-hmm. There's also, let's say, attacking attacking and like fighting. So you see this a lot in like dude, dudes on the map style games. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, take like Blood Rage, you know, Rising Sun, Onk, those types of games, for example. One of the things you talked about, like, is the ability to lose and still gain points. Yes. The ability to lose the battle and win the game. Yes. You can intentionally lose battles to win the game. I love that. I don't like straight up biggest, baddest fighting interaction, you know. Do you like, do you play or do you like games where there's combat, fighting, attacking, that sort of thing, but it's, let's say, based on like dice rolls? Absolutely not. Dice rolls are are a no-go. But I do like, like Kemet is a dudes on a map game where you have to win. You have to win to win the game. You have to win yes. these battles. Yep. So you're not going to win. I do like them. Um, I don't know why. I think the tech tree makes it fun, you know, because there's just a lot of strategy with the tech and then it really comes down to like, preparing yourself than going and fighting somebody you know you're stronger than and that's the whole point of the game so there's no like surprising yeah surprises there yeah you have to go into that game knowing you're gonna fight and i think mentality plays a big role in player interaction if you're going into a game like kemet knowing it's a it's a knife fight in a phone booth Mm -hmm. then you know that there's going to be combat but the nice thing about kemet the combat system is card based and everyone has the same deck of cards. So you understand, like, both of us have the same cards. Which ones are we going to play? Mm-hmm. You know, which ones are we going to take advantage of? Because you have to discard one, then you have to play one. So you you have the same ability as everyone else within that battle. And you're you're looking more in that game for, like, strategic times you can go in and do stuff. You're not necessarily, like, you're picking you're picking your battles, you know. As the cliche says, you're you're making sure you're going in and this is an advantageous spot for me. This is not. I'm going to take that spot because they only have a couple people in. I can move my my army in. Mm-hmm. You know that you know the battles coming and people are going to attack you and you have to be prepared for it. And th- that game is really all about the strategy is all about timing, right? Yep. Making sure that you're in a good position to attack somebody and making sure you're not leaving yourself vulnerable to be attacked and get, to easily give somebody a point, you know, it, it's it, that's the strategy of the game and i think that that's a lot of fun and i definitely have to like 
prepare my mindset, shift my mindset from like, okay, this is, I'm going to be attacked. I have to be prepared for it because it's going to happen. Or opposed to games where like you can turtle and like hide out like that. I don't like to be attacked because I like to try to get away with that. But so I don't typically like those types of games because I, I try to get away without getting attacked and I do and then I'm not prepared for it. So let's talk about combat systems in games real quick, you know, with especially because I think the combat system in those style of games dude on the map with the attacking and fighting, I think that plays a major role in whether or not you're going to like it. So for example, in Blood Rage, you're drafting your cards. So you know what you know what cards you're going to have in your hand. In uh, Rising Sun, you have your bid board that you're going to be bidding on the different things you're going to do within the battle. In Mordred, something we recently just played, we demoed at Gen Con, you have a set of cards. So it's very similar to Kemet where you have a set of cards, but they're asymmetric from everyone else. Everyone has like sp- kind of the same card, but they can do slightly different things. And then you have a game like Kemet where everyone has the exact same deck. Which of those types of things do you like the most? Which one of those would you pick if you had to say, all right, we're going to, if you were making a dudes on the map fighting game, which of those versions do you think you'd want? Bob, I I don't think I can pick that. It really, I like them all. I love Rising Sun, the bidding system. I like asymmetrical decks. Uh, I think I have the most struggle with asymmetrical decks because I don't, I probably because I don't, like no, I'd have to learn how asymmetrical they are. You know, the the yep. symmetrical decks, I I know that. You know, like in Kemet, you know, I love the drafting and I like them all. I like the only thing like I like I know I didn't like Innis, and that was because the the decks were so small and everybody knew them so well, and I did not know the decks at all, and so there yeah. that ruined that game for me. Um, but that was because I just didn't know the game. I think that game just requires multiple plays before you can really make a solid opinion on the game. You know, so I mean, I like those all—all all those choices. You take them all. Yeah, I would either. take them all. It's the only thing that asymmetrical one, I would have to learn it first. I'd have to play it multiple times before I could enjoy it. That's almost the same thing as let's say drafting in Blood Rage because you you end up with a uh, different cards, yeah. But you also need to know what the cards are. We've played enough yes, Blood Rage; we have a general idea of what comes in each age, and yeah. we can prepare for that. But a brand new players looking at them for the first time. And they don't know what other people have and they don't know what's yeah. valuable. And yeah, it, it's not fun. Like I know the first time I played Rising or Blood Rage was not fun either. I just got my butt handed to me. <laughs> good. You, good. I'm surprised By you ended you. up coming. I, for me, I was the one who did it. Um, yeah, I was at Grand Con years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, my bad. Um, <laughs> no, that was the second it. time I played. That was the second time I played. But yeah, I still got my butt handed to me. It took me the third time until I started to get the game. I'm surprised you took it. You were able to play it that many times, and you're just like, "Yeah, I'm cool with it." I think it was because it was so popular. I wanted to keep giving it a chance, you know. And I didn't. Yeah. I didn't dislike it. I just, it just sucked playing it the first couple times. Yeah, I think in Blood Rage, if you're gonna have a new player, you should just hand them all three decks and at least let them like flip through and see what kind of cards are in them. But that's so overwhelming. It's not like maybe even just before each age of drafting, they have a general idea of what cards are going to be in the pool. I don't know. It's tough. You have to learn those cards. And I think that's barrier of entry is a little bit harder for something than that. Let's say than let a Kemet or a rising sun. Personally, yeah. I don't like the bidding system in rising sun. It just, I love it. Yeah, I know you do. And I, ugh, I'll play it. I like, I just don't know if I, yeah. Anyway. It's so fun. I can win that game. That's why I like Rising Sun. I just, I don't know. I just, for some reason, I just can't wrap my mind around it. It just, I hate it so much. It's the rock, paper, scissors, like double, like, what are they going to do? They do this and I have to do this. It's rock, paper, scissors is all it is. Yeah, I know. But then you have to pay for, you have to, it's not only rock, paper, scissors. You're paying for rock, paper, scissors. So like Cry Havoc has a rock, paper, scissors combat system, but it's not like you're paying to do, it's not. You're not paying coins to throw paper. You're just throwing paper. Whereas in Rising Sun, you're paying coins to throw paper or paying coins to like throw rock. And I, I and, love it. But if you if you throw coins and you get paper, but then you lose the battle, you get part of your coinage back and you get somebody else's coins like that. I just. It's I'm so good. good. It's so good. Um, I need nope. to find other people that love Rising Sun and play it with them. Yeah, just I'll I'd play it, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Let's just put it that way. All right, so we talked a little bit about attacking. We talked about blocking. 
let's talk about like some other kind of interactions that are not necessarily quite so combative. And I'm going to kind of lump these all kind of in like bluffing, trading, slash maybe like negotiations or like auctions. Okay, those are definitely heavy player interactions where the entire point of the game is that you're interacting with people. Yeah, I like those games. I, you know, I'm not a fan of auctions typically, but I, there are times when it's done that I really enjoy it. I love bluffing games. And my kids love bluffing, so that those are always really popular in my family. These are almost more social interactions than they are game interactions. Auctions would be the one, the exception to that rule. That is definitely a game mechanic um, interaction, whereas you know, bluffing, trading, or negotiating, all that is just happening above table. That That is just the players doing the player's thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, it is a mechanic of the game, but it doesn't, like, you're not manipulating game pieces in order to do it. You're just, you're trying to talk your way into certain things. Auction, I think, can be a lot of fun, but there's a barrier to entry because I think that you really need to understand the game in order for it to play well. I think they can be really fragile, like your first time you're playing, you're you're maybe overbidding on things you shouldn't. You're you're underbidding. You're letting people get things really cheaply because you don't know how valuable they are. So that's my only complaint with those style of games, is that they are better when everyone understands the value. And probably why games like Estates were like there's no value until the very end. So you have no idea if you're bidding on something that's actually going to be valuable or if it's going to be something that's going to lose you points. Those games, people like those, and I don't like those at all. But so you take trading negotiation auction those that's exactly what you described for those three particular style those types of interactions you don't know the value and if you don't know yeah. the value you're going to get screwed over you could you take yeah. a game like Chinatown you can calculate the value of what you're getting of what you're giving somebody else yeah like you're going to get $500,000 off of this I'm going to at least charge you a fair bit of money for it. Yeah, I need to I need to get the value that I'm getting out of it. But then you can again, you can get screwed over with, you know, certain things. You take a game like Catan, which is, you know, been around since 95. Like it is, you know, what launched the board game industry into what it is today that you have to make trades. And sometimes people don't aren't willing to give you ore for some wood or some sheep, you know, and sometimes you have to give up extra things and then. You know, that that sort of I think everyone will give you a sheep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean, though? Like there's just <laughs> there's just certain with that interaction. You're They're everything fragile. has a value. Yeah. But you need to know what that value is. Yeah. And, you know? and somebody somebody coming in and not knowing the value can really change the gameplay and make it unpredictable for everybody else. Same with trick taking games. You come in. Somebody plays a trick taking game. It doesn't know how to play a trick-taking game. They can like literally ruin it for everybody else because they do something Facts. that's totally unexpected. And you're like, "What? You just threw off that's the whole not flow." How you play the game. You're like that, but it's a legal move. Yeah, but nobody plays that way. <laughs> you can't yeah. just do that. It is funny or- that you bring that bring up trick-taking games because you and I, I think, anytime we play the crew, we always end up arguing about what was the right play to make if we've like lost. Like, no, you should have played that. I'm like, no, but then this other thing. Mm-hmm. That's part of the fun of playing the crew is arguing with each other about who screwed that up. Yeah, always you. Um, so uh, trading negotiation auctions. So these types of things, I'm if it's done well and I can understand the value of things, they're fine. I'm not a big fan of those in particular. They're not like high up on my list of things. Because again, it's it's that, which you would think I would like because normally I, like bluffing, for example, I love bluffing. Yeah. I love it. I love bluffing with people. I love trying to like get people to take Natasha's route so I don't necessarily have to. I love doing that sort of thing. So you would think like trading and negotiating would be like, yeah, I really like it. Mm-hmm. I just don't because I also don't want to like it feels bad when I know I'm going to get five hundred thousand dollars for this and that I'm, you know, spending I'm giving somebody a hundred thousand dollars for it. Like just me as a person. I don't like that because I just it feels slimy that I'm screwing this person over that they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't feel good. There's no fun in that. Yeah. No. You're tricking almost tricking somebody into giving you the thing that you need. Right. Mm -hmm. But take like bluffing. Take like Sheriff of Nottingham. That's like that is the type of fun kind of stuff that I like is that. Yeah. Oh, I have four apples in here. Well, do I really or do I not? Do I have a crossbow mm-hmm. in here? You don't know. Like, what are you going to do about it? Like, you have to 
you know, just lying to people. I enjoy that thing. I always have fun with those games. Those are always a big hit with everybody. And they're a lot of fun. If I'm going to play a player interaction game, a bluffing game is, is a lot of fun. Do you think part of it has to do with how heavy and the style of game it is? So a lot of bluffing games that I think about are typically like fun social interaction style games. Take the one I keep thinking about is like Sheriff of Nottingham. It's not a not a like strategic going in there like try hard. I'm going to destroy everyone in this game. But it's more like, OK, we're going to have fun. We're just going to kind of see what happens. Yeah, 100%. If 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 those games where there there are a lot of luck base, there's a lot of player interaction, there's wild swings. Those need to be short. I just couldn't. I don't think anybody could sit there for two hours and just have it come down to something so nuanced. You know what I mean? The, I like my big heavy planning games to be heavy planning and not a lot of surprises. All my surprise games need to be short and small, and that's where the fun is, right? It's when you try to have a he- big heavy long game with any of those like like a bluffing thing to it that you just messed yep. up like no that'd be terrible well even take uh you know trading going back to the trading negotiating that sort of thing take a game like Colosseum. you're trading the different tiles with each other in order to put on those different types of shows so mm-hmm. if there's specific tiles you really need you like you might have to give up a decent amount to get those and if you don't then you're not going to get that tile that you need to put on that specific show that you want to put on that's going to give you the most amount of points. So those types of games, especially being longer, if you don't make that deal, it'll end up screwing you. Yeah. And it's, you know, and then you're going to spend another 45 minutes playing a game where you know you won't be able to win. Yeah. Yeah, you need to know when to what when it's worth, you know, giving that up and when it's not. And that that can be tricky in a long game when you learn your mistake and then you have to sit through the whole rest of the game. Or the short game, you learn you made a mistake. Oh, well, let's play again. You'll do it right, you know? Well, even in a short game, like, yeah, you mess up and maybe you lose this particular game, but typically there's enough rounds of it that, whatever, like, I messed up this round, but I'm going to have another three or four rounds. Again, going back to the Sheriff of Nottingham example, everyone needs to be the sheriff a certain amount of times, right? So you're going to have other times. Other people are going to get caught. You're not going to be the only one who gets caught. There's a game, Sidereal Confluence, which is all about negotiating. Like you're you're producing a bunch of resources and you're the only one producing those types of resources and you need to negotiate with everyone else to get the other ones that you need. It's a type of game that can last like four or five hours or it can last an hour just depending on how the negotiation piece of things go. A game like that, like I've wanted to try, but I'm so hesitant because if the negotiation sucks and you're not getting the things you need, like you're just not progressing your game forward. You know, same thing in the Catan example. If I'm not producing ore and I need ore and the only thing you'll trade me ore for is 17 sheep, four pieces of wood and like, you know, a wheat and I don't have that. It can be a long game. That's a long game of Catan. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm put the yeah, robber on just- your tile. Yeah, it's it's scary to, to get into a game like that. And I'm sure the second play will be great. Like, you know, we were talking about earlier about the first games. Like, first games are always learning games. But it can be hard to, to like, use a game to learn from that's three or four hours long because you don't want to waste that much time <laughs> learning a game. Yeah. Yep. Then having to play it again and, okay, now I can play for real. I think at the end of the day, the interaction needs to be something that's predictable. Yes. And especially in like a long Euro game, something that we know can happen, but it also doesn't prevent us necessarily from constantly moving forward in our game plan. I think if there's a thing that happens that like, okay, I can't get this resource this round, but I can still do things and I can still progress my game. I'm good. That's a, that's a future me problem now, not a current me problem because it's taken. I think those types of games like that, that interaction is nice. I think games that are just a game you can play solo. You often talk about cooperative style games that you could essentially play solo doesn't interest you. And I think the more and more I've thought about a game, for example, like, you know, a lot of roll and rights is it's a solitaire game that I'm just playing. There's no interaction. I'm not seeing other people's strategy because I'm just doing my own thing with my own board. And in Mm -hmm. some cases, I like it. Like Hadrian's Wall, there's enough things going on that like burns my brain when I'm playing it that I enjoy. 
But aside from that, the fact that we're not really even interacting at all, I'm not seeing you manipulate anything on the board. You're not going to this specific, you know, spot on the board that's blocking me from going to that spot, that sort of thing. That I just, I'm not a huge fan of. I do like some interaction, but it needs to be interaction I'm aware of. Yeah. That you can plan for, that you know is going to come. It's not going to be a total surprise. But yeah, it definitely needs some. Otherwise, there's no tension and that's not fun either. I, it, the part of the fun of the game is beating your opponents, right? Yep. So you got to, there's, there's that tension that's there if you're playing with other people. I think that's what makes board gaming fun. That said, I mean, I do love chucking some dice. So a game like Star Wars Rebellion, when you go into a combat and you're just rolling dice and seeing what happens, I do love that stuff too. But it's a it's part of the game I know that's going into. You know, yeah. it's also an Amerithrash style too, game. That you're, you're, you're getting into a long game that comes down to dice rolls. Yeah, well, and it's one of those things that it, it comes down to dice rolls, but a game like that, typically there's a lot more going on with it. Dice over the course of the game, the dice rolls kind of just average themselves out. At least that's been my experience. Yeah. Unless you're a bad dice roller, then that's just kind of a thing. So. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. Please help us out by giving us a review and like us on Instagram or Facebook and send us any comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.